Where's a good station? Glory. Glory. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again, relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. My name's Bill, and I'm here with longtime friend Steve. Hello, everybody. And we would like to welcome you to this will be our fourth mm-hmm. podcast on first john it's which, a series it's a series which we've called unlocking first john. first john and just to do a little review we made it pretty clear that one of the keys and maybe the most important key wouldn't you say steve is the two natures yeah because it's the key to unlocking the new covenant. It's what the new covenant is all about. God saying, I will put my spirit in you. And he did. We were born again and we have a spirit living in us, but we also have the man on the driver's license walking around trying to be the best guy he can, but failing all the time. So we have the spirit in us to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We have two natures, the cornerstone concept of this new covenant that we're in. We might have some King James only people out there, Steve, that say flesh and spirit. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Flesh and spirit. There were so many synonyms. The gospels and the epistles gave to the idea of flesh and spirit. There was good trees, bad trees, good eye, bad eye, goats, sheep, fish, good fish, bad fish, on and on the list went, but they were all trying to give us this one single concept that we have in the new covenant. We're supposed to know that we have two natures and we're supposed to rely on our divine nature, the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. That's why we say two natures. That's why we talk about the two natures and use that term. But we include all of those. Yes. So that's a big, big key yes. to unlocking First John. Another one, and it goes along with the two natures, is remember our two Greek words, Steve? Parazo and poieo, yes. Parazo was what? Habitually commit sins. To habitually practice. Yeah. It can be anything, yeah. Yeah, habitually practice sinning. But and in First John 3, 9, it was 
poieo, commit one single sin, although it was preached almost 100% of the time as practice sin, it was indeed commit one single sin. The child of God does not commit one single sin because he has been born of God and God's seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he has been born of God. One single sin is what it was talking about. It left you and I in a quandary with respect to our eternal security. It scared us to death, but when we realize that it's these two natures that we've been harping on for so long, you begin to realize why we've been harping on the two natures, but when you realize why, then you can make sense out of 1 John 3, 7 through 10, because it's talking about the nature, the child of God, the thing that was born of God. Remember Jesus said, spirit gives birth to spirit and flesh gives birth to flesh, meaning humans give birth to humans and spiritual entities give birth to spiritual entities known as the children of God. Well, why we did born again before we even attempted to unlock first John. That's right. It's a good, that's a good podcast to go in familiar rise yourself with. Is that a word? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you that it is. Yes. So the two natures was a key. Mm -hmm. The poieo and prazo was a key. And then our third unlocking first, John, we, we went into with an understanding of two natures and poieo and prazo and showed you how the old, some of the common, popular interpretations of 1 John don't hold up. And we also showed you how they don't hold up when you try to reconcile them with Paul's writings and Romans and the writings in Hebrews. They don't line up. And we gave you some of those common ways to interpret 1 John, the Christian soap, the defense against Gnostic heresies, the broken fellowship, the worst one, you're not even a Christian. You're not even a Christian. That's the scariest one of them all. But we systematically showed how they don't jive with the rest of the Bible, and they don't jive with the new covenant in general. The new covenant is about God placing his spirit in us. This is what he said he would do in the new covenant. Remember our sins no more and place his spirit in us to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And this will be our third key. And I'm going to let you take it away from here, Steve, on our what is our third key to unlocking First John. I believe it's the temporal and eternal viewpoints that we, we mentioned at the end of the last podcast. So we're going to look at, like Bill said, eternal and temporal truths, which are actually eternal and temporal doctrines. These are doctrines that the Bible teaches us. We, as Christians, should know these doctrines. We should know that they're there. And for many, many years, I was clueless to what an eternal doctrine is and what a temporal doctrine is. And I never had a chance of unlocking 1 John until I did. 
And to be more specific, we're using eternal doctrines and temporal doctrines to unlock 1 John 1, 9, the controversial verse. That's the one that we will be able to see much more clearly if we take a few minutes and lay a foundation of just what eternal and temporal doctrines are, and we'll look at a few and it'll give us a running start as we endeavor to figure out just what First John 1, 6 through 10 is trying to teach us. Not sure I'd say running start's a good way to describe three podcasts before we even hit one verse. <laughs> but okay. Yeah, yeah. We've been running for a while. Now I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. He means it's important to get this. You can't rightly divide or interpret First John one nine without the knowledge of what an eternal and temporal truth are. So let's go to First Corinthians five seven. Okay, reading glasses on five seven. Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Okay. Now, in this passage, verse... That's some th- bad grammar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It Not is. really. There's but a for a good for reason. Yeah. For a good reason. But let me just say, this is the passage in which Paul was rebuking the Corinthian church because somebody in the church was actually having sex with his father's wife and they were not grieving over such an act, but they were actually almost boasting about it. So he was telling them that they have to clean up their act. No more shenanigans. They have to start living right. And he says, Clean out the old leaven, just as in fact you already have. In that one sentence, we have a classic example of both an eternal doctrine and a temporal doctrine. An eternal doctrine is something that God and Jesus do and see, and they tell you, what was done from their vantage point, and you have to accept it by faith. You have to believe what the Bible is telling you because you can't prove the point or you weren't there to see it. The Bible just tells you about it, and you have to believe it. And that's exactly what happened in First Corinthians 5, he says, just as in fact you already have, you have cleaned out the leaven through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. How, how does it read, Bill? As you already are yeah. clean. Yeah. He says, clean it up. But as you already are clean, because of what? For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Right. He was sacrificed in the past, and that's what made you clean in God's eyes. And that's the truth that you have to accept by faith that you are clean in God's eyes. That's an eternal truth or an eternal doctrine that you accept 
That's a classic example of an eternal doctrine. Now, the temporal doctrine is a doctrine about our day-to-day experience in the time zone, in the realm of time, in the realm of the things that we experience and do, our physical activities. And he's saying, in the realm of time, you need to clean up your act. You need to clean out the sin. The, we the, had quite the scandal going on here. Yeah, yeah, quite the scandal. You need to clean that up. That, that was a big thing to clean. That was a mess. <laughs> that was a mess. We had to clean out that yeast. How did it phrase it, Bill? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. Yeah, so we're a new unleavened batch in God's eyes. In our eyes, we're a scumbag that is having Legal. sex with his father's wife. That's that's not clean. That's not clean. So with from God's point of view, we're still clean. We're still clean. But our testimony down here is horrible. Horrible. Scandalous. Yes. To the people around us, we look horrible. We we look wretched. If I remember correct, this guy's going to get the boot. He actually gets thrown out of the church because of his actions. That's how they clean out the, the leaven in this case. He says, turn the guy over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit can be saved. You don't see them not taking sin seriously. No, no, they they do clean it out. This is all on an experiential, temporal level that these things are going on, and they do not contradict the eternal truth about what Jesus pulled off At the cross. Not in any way. No. What God saw happening when Jesus was nailed to the cross, was dying and being buried, and then rose from the grave, God saw some fantastic things that are described in the New Testament epistles. You just have to know them for what they are. They're descriptions of eternal truths, eternal doctrine. So it's important to get a handle on this concept, the concept of eternal doctrines and temporal doctrines. So we'll show you some other pretty classic examples of eternal and temporal doctrines. So that was 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7. And thank you, sir. We we have another. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, we may do another. Let's What's do next. Yeah, let's do Romans six six and Ephesians four twenty four because this time we get to look at an eternal doctrine and a temporal doctrine that are actually in two different parts of the Bible, in two different parts of the New Testament, to be more specific. Knowing this, okay. yes. Right, right. Six, six, yeah, right. Yeah, let's Knowing go there. Knowing this, that the old man of us was crucified, that the body of sin might be rendered powerless. Yes. Knowing this, that the old man of us 
was crucified. Literally, the ancient man of us was crucified. So that means, and you've probably heard this in in church, somebody will come up and say, no, the old man is crucified. That means we don't have an old man anymore, and we're, we're sinless now, which doesn't ring true in your day-to-day life. That's actually what First John is battling against, the idea that the old man is crucified. But you just read it right there. The old man of us was crucified. How could he be crucified? Because I'm right here. This is an eternal doctrine from God's point of view. In God's point of view, when Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, the old man of us, everything that we don't like about ourselves, even though we're trying as hard as we can. Remember, Paul, I'm of flesh sold into bondage to sin because I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I do want to do and I do the very evil I hate, but it's sin dwelling in me in Romans 7. Well, that is the old man of us. And thankfully, God says the old man of us is crucified and eternal truth that we accept by faith. We believe it, even though we can very much see the old man of us wreaking havoc throughout the day. We believe what God said is true. And absolutely true. Absolutely true. And no, you saw Contrary it, to what we see with our own eyes. Ex- exactly. Especially at the end of a bad day, we thank God for this eternal truth. We have to know this. We isn't that what it said in six one? Knowing this, that the old man of us was past tense crucified. We're supposed to know this. We're supposed to know this eternal truth. This is God's point of view. It's not our point of view. We see the old man very, very active, and he's embarrassing us all the time. In order that. The body concerning the sin might be rendered powerless. Yes, it helps us to gain power over sin to know that from God's point of view, the old man was crucified. Now let's go look at Ephesians chapter 4 because we're going to see a passage that you would think directly contradicts Romans 6. And you think, gosh, there's contradictions in the Bible, but I'm telling you right now, it doesn't contradict Romans 6. 6. All right. I'm going to go to Ephesians 4.20, and I'm wrestling with my conscience about reading you a, one verse at a Weymouth Bible. I'll think about it while I'm reading this, but I'm going to start in verse 20, okay? Ephesians 4. 20, and I'm reading it from sort of a Greek translated into English. This is a little more how it would read in the Greek, all right? But you not thus learned the Christ, if indeed you heard him and in him were taught as truth is in Jesus. For you to put aside according to the former behavior, past tense, right? Yes. The old man, past tense, and just mentioned in 
Romans 6, 6. The one being corrupt. Oh, wait a minute, Steve. That's present tense. Let me do that again. Okay. For you to put aside, according to the former behavior, past tense. Yes. The old man, past tense. Yes. The one being corrupted. Present That's tense. a present passive participle. Exactly. It, it, it's continually, passively mm-hmm. being corrupted. Mm-hmm. The former, when it says the word former, that was from God's point of view. Being corrupted is from man's point of view. Eternal truth and temporal truth right there in the same sentence. In the same sentence. Can I read this Weymouth note? Yeah. You might. Or this is 421 in the Weymouth Bible, which is a like an 1800 paraphrased Bible. Yes. It says, if at least you have heard his voice and in him have been taught. And this is true Christian teaching, it says. True Christian teaching. Is that was that his way what, of looking at it, understanding it. What we see as present tense being corrupted during the day is former in God's eyes. That's true Christian teaching. To, to have both, both points of views. Yes. The eternal and the temporal. Yeah. One's from God's point of view and one is from our point of view. Him being corrupted is from our point of view. And if you can get this, it makes reading the Bible, reading the epistles especially, uh, a whole lot easier. Yes, and it's it going to go a long way in First John. I remember how confused I was reading the Bible before I caught this one concept that there's eternal and temporal truths. It was big to me. Okay, there's a little more in verse okay. 23 and 24. Okay, verse 23. Well, I'm going to start in 21 again for continuity. Okay. If indeed you have heard him and in him were taught, as truth is, true Christian teaching, to for you to put aside according to the former behavior, past tense, the old man, past tense, the one being corrupted. Former behavior, temporal point of uh, eternal point of view, I'm sorry. Old man, eternal point of view, the one being corrupt, temporal point of view. And it's the temporal point of view that I'm trying to get to. The one being corrupt, it's saying Put off the old man who is present tense, being corrupted by his desires. It is passively, I might add. Passively, yeah. It, it, it's saying, put off the old man that is embarrassing you all day long. Present tense. It's being an embarrassment to you throughout the day. Put off that old man because now I'm talking about temporal realities in your day-to-day experience. In your day-to-day experience, I want you to put off that old man that God already sees as dead. That's from his point of view. From our point of view, he embarrassed us bad today. And from the people around us, from their point of view, they're actually ticked off at the old man of us for his actions today. That one guy's dad was pretty packed, I'd imagine. Yeah, I guess so. The the guy had his wife stolen by his son. I guess he would be ticked off with what the old man of that guy did to him. So is it... I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. 
Is it easy to say from these two in Romans 6, 6 and Ephesians 4, 20 that we saw a temporal point of view on the old man as well as an eternal point of view on the old man? Exactly. Exactly. It only took me 20 years to, to figure that out. 6, 6 of Romans said, knowing this fact, fact. the old man of us was crucified. From so, God's point of view. From God's point of view. It doesn't say that. It just says that he was crucified. I, I added from God's point of view. That's the truth. That's the truth. Then, But the Ephesians 4, it says this old man is present tense, still around being corrupted. Yes, yes. And that's from man's point of view. It's from my wife's point of view quite often, a little too often for me. And the whole Corinthian church's point of view. Yeah, how about that one? That was a scandal. Scandal on. Yeah, that made the two Jimmys scandal of Swagger and Baker <laughs> look like child's play. Yeah, their their scandals were tough. They're they're old. The old men of them embarrassed them bad. Those two guys really took it on the chin for what their old man did. But the point is to see the two points of view: the eternal. In the temporal. Exactly. Because you know what, Steve? When we get to First John... <laughs> We're going to see it. We are getting there, right? Yes, we will. Okay. We're just laying a foundation. 1, 6 through 10, and two, chapter 2, 1 and 2, we have temporal and eternal points of view in e the two of them. Exactly. And we even have a few of them in the same verse. Oh, yes. Yeah. You're going to see that the epistles are saturated. What's the word, Bill? Replete. Replete with sightings of eternal truths and temporal truths. Replete. You know what replete means, Steve? Literally? <laughs> I don't have an argument. <laughs> That's what it really means. When they say replete, it means... The scriptures are replete. <laughs> yeah, it means the scriptures aren't backing them up at all. Next time someone says the scriptures are replete to you, say, name one. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but these, <laughs> that was funny, these eternal and temporal points of view, they actually are replete, though. Yeah, I think they are. Matter of fact, let me put it to the test. Uh, name one, Bill. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to name two. Okay. How about Second Thessalonians 2.13 and Ephesians 2.5. Same subject, two points of views. Oh, really? I'm lost. I, I can't think of what those are. Go ahead. Do it. Okay. Ephesians 2.5. Both on the subject of saved. Okay? Mm-hmm. Here's Ephesians 2.5. And we'll let you... We'll do the Jeopardy music to see if you can guess what yeah, one it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ephesians 2. Five And God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins. It is by grace you have been saved. Eternal da, na, point na, of na, view. Na, na, I did it. it before the music even started, Bill. E eternal point of view. And let's go to, I think it's 2 Thessalonians 2.13, isn't it? Okay. God chose you as first fruits 
to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Through the Dun-na. sanctifying work of, through the Spirit is present tense, so it's a it's a temporal. Dun-na. He's saying you're you're saved Dun-na. from yourself. You're saved from yourself through the work of the Holy Spirit being in you and doing for you what you can't do for yourself. He's saving you from yourself. The Holy Spirit in your day-to-day experience that's using the the new nature, the new man is coming out and expressing himself, and you are the better for it. He's saving you. Not He saved you at the cross like we saw in Ephesians, but He's saving you in your day-to-day experience from a lot of embarrassment. Usually, for me, it, I'm always embarrassing myself, and he saves me from that embarrassment by manifesting himself through me. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sanct- sanctifies me. In time. In I can think of one in Romans 5 where it says that having been justified through his death, Uh, that's an eternal Mm -hmm. point of view, Mm -hmm. how much more shall we be saved through his life? life. Yeah, that's a good one. So justified in the past by his death. Yeah, all in the same sentence. Once for all, and at the same time, much more will his life that's inside of us continually save us, rescue us from embarrassment. Exactly, exactly. So now we've created a running start to 1 John 1.9 because 1 John 1.9 deals with eternal and temporal truths in it. You have to know about them to rightly divide 1 John 1.9. Are you saying we're finally ready? (laughs) I wish I had some drums to do a drum roll, but... We be there, brother. We be there. Okay. First John 1 John 1.9 in pretty much any modern English translation. Yeah, they all read about the same. And they're all good and we use them all. Yes. First John 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes. Did you notice how it doesn't? have an eternal or temporal point of view, and yet we've been harping on understanding First John without this temporal and eternal doctrine, this eternal and temporal viewpoint, you won't yeah, understand Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see any of the stuff we've been harping on. It just sounds It sounds temporal. like a simple, It'll if you do this, God will present do that. Tense. It sounds all present tense to me. Well, get a load of this, Steve. Okay. I'm going to read it reflecting the Greek verb tenses, how it it would actually read. Okay, how it's supposed to read. If we confess that we have sinned, he is faithful and just to have forgiven us all our sins and to have cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Oh, my God. It's in the past tense. You're saying he's faithful and just to have forgiven us past tense and to have cleansed us past tense, and we're keeping it all present tense. If we should say that we agree with God, is what it's really saying, that we do have a sin nature, he is faithful and just to already have in the past forgiven us Okay, and we've always sins. translated it present tense all this time. It's it's actually 
past past tense. It's, it's past tense. It's actually every bit of it, the forgiving and the cleansing already took place. Oh, my God. It's even better, Steve, if you understand the aorist tense, which is we don't have anything like that. Yeah, let me just soak up the fact that it's already happened. He's faithful and just to have forgiven us and have cleansed us past tense. He's not doing it when we're confessing. It was done a long time ago. He's just honoring it. This is not a quid pro quo, as we're all familiar with that term. Right. This is no little thing either. No. Actually, Paul said, who has ever done anything for God that he should repay them? Right. If we think that if we confess then God is looking down and going, uh, I got to forgive the guy. I got to cleanse him. Yeah, yeah. It's not that at all. It says he is faithful to already have in the past when Christ died on the cross to and, have forgiven us. And throughout my Harmonizes perfectly with, with Paul's epistles. Yes, yes. And, and, the, th- and the verses we went through in Hebrews. Yes. And through my entire life, I've been making excuses for this passage in trying to say it does this or does that, playing gymnastics with... Yeah, because the, it doesn't line up if you it's past do it tense. in the present I tense. Just can't, it's just past tense. Yeah, yeah, let what that soak in. It's yeah. past tense. It's past tense. And nobody ever saw this. No, You would think this would be preached on all the time. He's telling an eternal truth that... He's faithful and just to have forgiven us. And and it not only is both the forgiving and the cleansing in the past tense, do you know they're not tied in any way to your act of confessing? I know. That's the whole Whether thing. Whether you confess or not is irrelevant. It's a foregone conclusion. But if you should, which is really what it's saying in the Greek, if you should happen to agree, mm-hmm. know this. He's already faithful to have forgiven you of that. Right, because the word confess is actually the word agree. It is. It's to say the same thing. Homo, which is same, and legeo is to say, put forth, yes. Yeah. So in other words, if we should happen to agree, then this letter will make more sense. In, In other words, for the sake of the letter, you should agree that you possess the sin. You should not deny it, yes. You should... Then you can go along and and get the rest of the letter. But you have to get past this point. It's not telling you that you'll get saved if you did. It's not telling you anything. It's just saying for the sake of argument, you need to admit that you have sin. I like the way you said sin, singular. I did? You did. Okay. Why is that significant? Okay. The best way to describe it is, let's let's use Paul's teaching on sin in Romans. Okay? Okay, Romans. Let's say we take Romans 1, 1 through 8. It's kind of what most people consider a a subject. Exactly. Well, in in starting in chapter 1, going all the way up to 5.11, you see sins, plural, all the time. The Jews sins... From chapter 1 to chapter 5, it's all plural. Yeah, up to 5.11. It's Mm -hmm. all plural. It's talking about people's sins, different groups of people, the the Gentiles, the Mm -hmm. Jews. Happy is the man whose sins are forgiven. Right. It's it's individual acts of sin. Okay. Plural. 
when you get to 512, there's a change. What's the change? It's the first time that you see what's causing these individual acts of sins. How? Plural. Explain. Okay. I'm just going to start in explaining by what Paul said. Okay. In 512, he says, therefore, just as the singular sin entered the world through one man and death entered the world through the one man's sin. We're talking about Adam. Yes. And death spread to all men. Mm -hmm. Now that death is when we were talking about in the Garden of Eden. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Yes. The day you eat of it, you will live by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in your own human effort, and you'll be constantly embarrassing yourself. Right. That's the sin, mm -hmm. the effect of the sin. And it's literally a sin nature. You're saying that death entered through the sin, even though they hadn't sinned by breaking the law, like it says. But give me an example like where... Paul is using it, maybe about himself or something like that. I'll give you a classic example. In fact, I'll give you a classic passage. I like that, Bill. That's what we want. We need it right now at this point. It's replete. We got to show our repleteness. <laughs> okay, Romans 7, chapter 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to the sin, the singular the sin. sin noun. That's how it's written in the Greek. That is how it's written in the Greek. The sin. Okay. That's one. Mm -hmm. 15. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing. <laughs> Sorry. It just what I would like to do. But I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now, no longer I am I the one doing it, but the singular sin which indwells in me. Is doing it? Is doing it. I am not doing it, but the, the singular, singular sin, sin which indwells in me is doing it. The sin. The singular sin. Verse 19. For the good I wish to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but the sin which dwells in me. I find the principle... I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. So, so man, when, when you read it like that, it's actually personifying the sin. The sin guy. The, the sin, sin guy. Or the sin principle, you could say. Yeah, yeah, it personifies it. It just dawned on me. That, that brings it out. Because it, it says sin lives in me. It, yeah, making it out like a living entity, like it, it personifies it. It really does. It says sin lives in me. Steve, it literally says in the Greek, you're possessed wow. of a sin nature. Wow. wow. It's the word echo. 
You remember that word? In, in Romans? Well, in First John. Should we, we go, go back there? Yeah, let's go ahead and go back there. Okay. So let's start in verse 8. If we should say that the singular sin we do not have, and there's that word I was talking about, Steve. It's the Greek word echo, and it means to to hold or possess. So in First John 1, 8, it's singular? It's singular, the sin. If we agree... It's not it's, sins. It's not sins, no. Okay. It's saying if we have this thing called the sin yeah. nature... Okay. ...that was causing Paul all kinds of... The living entity... The living entity that possessed him. Okay. So you were saying about the Greek word echo. Are echo. you saying it means we possess the singular sin? Yeah, that's what sin? I'm saying. I, I was making fun of a little bit of possess. Uh -huh. but, yeah, but okay. it does say to hold or to possess. So what would be some synonyms for that? Well, the Strong's in its definition says to hold and to possess, uh, some okay. other synonyms would be to seize or to occupy or, well, there's, that's four. Yeah. It's something that's inside of you, occupying you, Steve, is, is really the point that First John is making. If we the say... Own, would own be a good word? Yeah, own or retain are two good ones. Probably the best one is own. Because that's yeah. what he's talking about in First John. So he's telling the people in First John that they should own it. <laughs> Literally, he is. Yeah. If you have a sin, if you have the sin nature, don't deny it. Own it. Own it for the sake of the argument that's going on. For the sake, so he'll be able to teach you. You have to admit that. You have to admit these eternal truths, so that you can get temporal benefits, Steve. If you don't yes. understand them, you'll you'll be trying to actually you deny. have to admit the temporal truth that that you still are like Paul with sin dwelling in you, the yes. sin nature, because that's what the letter of First John is about: two natures, and you have to admit that you have the sin nature, and you have to. Well, let's just for argument's sake, you need to know both of them. Yes, and you need to see them as two different points of view exactly okay i got it i got it so in the temporal point of view he's saying you must admit that you possess a the, sin nature this quality own it <laughs> not a quality it's quality i wish i could get rid of but if i do we possess say it i admit we, it i possess it correct if we say if we confess our sin we're owning it if we admit we own that sin. That's in nature. So I don't think First John comes completely out there and says sin nature, but I do see where you have to know about the sin nature in the way at First John is using you, the word. Right, right. And it puts you at a place where you can at least deal with it now with a clear conscience. Exactly. Because of this eternal truth. Knowing the eternal truth that the sin guy's dead helps us not feel guilty when we're addressing this idea about sin that we possess, the singular sin that we possess. Otherwise, we're trying to cover it up. Right. And we don't want to deal with it, honestly. 
I don't want to deal with it honestly. But if we do deal with it honestly and say, I do possess this sin or this sin guy, this sin that it's called in First John, but other places it is unpacked or expanded on, and it's literally talking about the sin guy. Right, and everything he did is doing and will do has already been forgiven and cleansed. That's the beauty of the eternal truth. Right, and all eternal truths are always mixed in with sobering temple truths. So First John is giving us the sobering temporal truth that yeah. the sin guy lives in us. But if we confess that, he is faithful and just to have forgiven us our sins and to have cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Exactly, Steve. And that's the, the thought you gave us. Remember when you did that Hebrew passage of nine... Like 24, 25, 26, 27. Right, right, yeah. exactly. What? Talking about the Day of Atonement where he appeared once and how important it was to he, shed his blood. But he then he, he goes on to say Jesus didn't appear in the earthly tabernacle, right? Yeah. But he appeared in heaven, heaven. itself. That's where we get our word. Fanaru is there again. Mm-hmm. Made manifest. Right. And not with the blood of animals, but his own blood, yeah, and representing he, his life. He came down. The life of a spotless lamb, right, in the Old Testament. He offered his blood. It was accepted. And then you, you touched on a verse at the end of it. Remember where it says he will appear a second time? Yes. And you made it clear that it's not talking about an end of time appearance it right it's more like he appeared on the day of pentecost well the word the therefore spirit, appears the a second time yes we get our word emphanizo which means okay. nothing to you. <laughs> which means absolutely nothing do you know what it does it's a tell me it's tell, two tell words us what put it to, together two words put together in the greek okay in we know what that is. The, the Greek word e in, in yeah. which means in. in. Inside. Right. It means I in in English. Correct. E in means I in in English. And the word in fanness, I think it's pronounced. You're struggling to say it, but it's something like in fanness. Yeah. Okay. And it literally means to shine. Shine. So let's put it together. In shine. Oh, my gosh. He shines in us. Oh, my gosh. With this revelation. He's coming back he's a paid. second time to shine in us. So, in other words, instead of coming back at the end of time, it's saying he's coming back on the day of Pentecost to shine in us, to in shine. He's coming back then in that's what he did. He came back in us to start shining and doing his ministry. Without reference to sin. Without reference to sin. But to deliver us from whatever is embarrassing us. Oh, amen. That's amen. what he says. Sounds a lot like Paul, doesn't it, in Second Corinthians 4? It sounds like you were thinking of the same thing. Remember yeah, it not says, in my head. <laughs> God who let, said, let light shine out of darkness, Genesis 1. There, there's our light and darkness. <laughs> Isn't the 
book of First John talking about light the and darkness. Light and darkness, yes. So let me go back. They're again. both on the same wavelength. Paul said, "God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has caused His light to in shine." In, uh, in our hearts. Yes, to shine in our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face, face. of Christ. Fellowship. The fellowship face is Christ. always fellowship. Face right. is always representative of fellowship. fellowship. It was yes. in the, the, the blessing in the old covenant. So he's coming to in shine in our hearts, which is out of the heart the mouth speaks. What's coming out? He's coming, come to live in our hearts, to shine through us, and he's shining this revelation. Yes, that he's not only paid for your sins, cleansed you from all unrighteousness, but given you his spirit to help you and to save you from embarrassment. Yes, which is exactly where First John was going when he said the walks in the light. Right. So what does that mean? If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship, face-to-face fellowship with the Father and the Son, and the blood of Christ, his life, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And that's present tense. That's present tense. Right. He, He in us cleans up our act for us, which we always need. In other words, just like he mixes eternal thoughts with temporal thoughts just in the blink of an eye by just merely a phrase, here it is again. He cleanses our act present tense. This is in our day-to-day experience. It's not an eternal truth that he did clean us 2,000 years ago. This is present tense. He cleans up our act. He act. He does for us what we can't do for ourselves, which is to walk righteously. He cleans all that up for us. So in the next podcast, we're going to put all these thoughts together so that they run through and make sense because all we've been doing for the last few podcasts is just showing you the support for what we say and when you're doing that, it's hard to make everything clear when you're trying to support what you say. So now that we have done that, I think it's a good thing for us to kind of reread First John with the tenses and the, the moods and all that correlating with the Greek, the the actual language that they used. We'll put it all together, but we'll just be true to the Greek and see how this passage in 1 John that is so controversial actually reads. So stay tuned for the next podcast. We're going to put it all together then. So for now, I'll let Bill close us in prayer, if you don't mind. Yeah, Steve, I I was just thinking of that Old Testament prayer that the priests pronounce over the people. The Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. (laughs) And that's our prayer. I pray that, Father God, that you would keep giving us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Enlighten our eyes 
so that we would know the hope of our calling, the incomparably riches, and the great power that's available to us, like the working of your mighty strength, which you exerted in Christ when you raised him from the dead. And give us all that understanding so we can know about this incomparably great power that's available to us, the resurrected life of Christ in us. In Jesus' name, amen.